Welcome to the Checkered Jaguar, where normalizing difficult conversations is just what we do. I'm your host, Bracia Dover. I'm a mental health advocate, cancer survivor, elite social media manager, business owner, and creator. It's time to get vulnerable and find that inner confidence to roar. Find the Checkered Jaguar on the web, where you can learn more about social media management and creative direction services, and you can go to feel inspired and understood with meaningful written blogs. Check it out at checkeredjaguar.com. Find the Checkered Jaguar on Instagram and TikTok at Checkered Jaguar. Now let's dive into this podcast episode. All right, well, welcome back to another important and meaningful episode. Today's guest is a special one and someone who I have known all the way since kindergarten. In fact, our guest today was someone who I used to have playdates with when I was a little girl, and I have some distinct memories of carpooling after school and hanging out and just having such a fun time when we were little. So today's guest is James Mount. I knew James as Jamie in elementary school through high school, but today James identifies as a non-binary and trans individual, meaning James' pronouns are they, them. James initially reached out to me after hearing one of my previous podcast episodes with Rebecca Jones, who is the mother of a transgender child. James noted to me that this episode was very helpful to listen to and share with James's own mother, who James had recently come out to. So today it's James' story to share. And let me tell you, this story is honest, real, and vulnerable. There's a lot to unpack here, and I'm grateful to James for being willing to share their story. We will be covering topics about James's coming out experience, leaving a religion with strict gender roles, eating disorders that come from not resembling how James felt internally, and so much more. So to start, I wanted to have James introduce themselves. Tell us your age, where you're from, career, and anything else that you would like listeners to know from the get-go. Hi everyone, I'm James. I am 25 years old. I'm from Gilbert, Arizona. I work as a junior loan processor at a mortgage company, but my degree is in addictions counseling. Awesome. Wow. I didn't know that was what your degree was in. Yeah. Yeah. I actually worked in inpatient rehab for a little bit there and I I really enjoyed it. But due to personal reasons, I kind of left uh, mental health and started working on my own. Yeah. Okay. So thanks for that little background. I want to kind of dive into the environment you grew up in. What was your home like as a child? How many siblings do you have? What did your parents' relationship look like, cultural environment? And just kind of paint a picture for us on what your childhood looked like. Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up as the youngest sibling in a family of two older sisters. Our home life was probably best categorized as upper middle class, uh, which means that I never really had to worry about where my next meal would come from or if I would be provided for. We grew up in a cul-de-sac in a predominantly Mormon town and we were outside playing most of the time. My parents were pretty firm about screen time. So when we were allowed to watch TV, it was typically Disney movies or Cartoon Network. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) We were not allowed to listen to radio stations outside of Christian music channels. So me and my sisters would kind of sneak other CDs 
like such a share. And I remember one instance that I had bought myself a Fergie CD at the gas station, um, but my dad found it and I had to return it the next day and I'm grounded for like a week. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Wow. Wow. But, uh, I had a great relationship with my mom growing up. She was extremely involved in my life. And I truly believe that she was both my mom and my dad. I did have a father growing up, but he was pretty uninvolved outside of providing financially. My dad has narcissistic personality disorder. And so he was pretty emotionally and physically abusive to me and my sisters. I think my relationship with him was more of a fear-based relationship. Mm. And he was more of the belief that children are to be seen and not heard kind of a thing. Mm, wow. I honestly, I, I didn't know any of that. I, it shows how when you're, <laughs> when you're a child and growing up knowing someone, sometimes you just don't know what goes on behind the scenes in their worlds. But yeah, that Fergie CD and that's, that's pretty crazy, but helps paint the picture on your background yeah. in childhood. So thank you for that. Of course. <laughs> so I knew you all throughout elementary school and our high school years. And at that time, you appeared to an outsider looking in as a straight female. And you'd, you'd always been very friendly, at least to me. And I never thought you were going through anything with your gender identity. And you seemed happy and just super nice in class as always. But what was going on for you at this period in your life? Were you already feeling something was off or experiencing gender identity challenges? Yeah, so in high school, I would would say that I struggled very privately for fear of being found out for who I really was. I deeply wanted to embody the perfect Christian girl, and I learned how to play that role very well for my own survival. Mm -hmm. I was very involved in extracurriculars and seemingly had a lot of friends from the outside looking in. I was a really good at being a friend to others. And I was much more comfortable in the role of providing support to others, uh, rather than receiving support and being seen for who I was. Right. Uh, So high school was definitely a struggle in terms of grappling with my identity while chameleoning myself to adapt in most social situations. So around my freshman year, my parents had just filed for divorce. And that was around the time that they started living apart, meaning that I split my time between my mom's and my dad's for about four years. I felt deeply alone and unknown during this time of my life as I was navigating this terrain on my own. My oldest sister had moved out and into her college dorm, and my middle sister had just been kicked out by my dad around the end of my freshman year. Mm. Uh, So I was facing a lot of that on my own. I would say that Around that time, I already felt something was off. And the way that I was being perceived, I knew did not match the way I was feeling internally. I did not like necessarily have the vocabulary to understand that I was experiencing gender identity challenges. But looking back, it's so clear to me right. and a lot of my actions and experiences that that's what I was wrestling with. I'm curious just on a like a level of religion and stuff, you know, in the Mormon church, no one, we, they don't even talk about the LGBTQ plus community. And I'm, I'm sure that's how it is in the Christian religion as well. Did you have much exposure in your culture, like environment with knowing about the LGBTQ plus community? No, not really. I mean, when it was talked about, it was really just to highlight how wrong it was and mm. how, how it just was unnatural, supposedly. 
And I think that that's something that's really fascinating, like in a lot of my research and unpacking, you know, faith and deconstructing all of that. I actually found that a lot of the original versions of the Bible, there was mentioning that what was wrong was pedophilia. Mm -hmm. But around the time where the political climate was really volatile around the LGBTQ community, they switched the word pedophilia to homosexuality. It wasn't originally included in the text. It was something that was later added on to kind of prove that point of this is wrong or this is unnatural, but this was never really something that was in the original writings of the Bible. Okay, so we're gonna cover your full story on realizing you're non-binary and trans individual, but just for the timeline's sake of things, when did you officially know that you identified this way? Was there like an aha moment and what was your overall coming out experience like? a great question. So I want to say it was around like June of 2021 that I really realized that I was non-binary. Prior to that, there were plenty of moments of clarity for me, but not really that moment of realizing, okay, this is what the label is. This is what suits me for my experience. But I think a big aha moment for me was when I made the connection that expression and presentation are super different from identity. Um, Because in the past, I really enmeshed those terms. So at the time, I dressed more traditionally femme. And I had a more extreme view that manifested in getting rid of all my skirts and my dresses to somehow like validate my gender identity. Right. I now have a much more balanced approach where, where like I no longer try to dress from a place of trying not to be misgendered especially since it'll happen regardless of what I wear. Right. Sometimes I lean more towards an androgynous style and other times I would say more mask or femme. But most of my life, I was very attracted to people who presented more on gender neutral side of things. Mm. And my sister Lindsay and I often joke about that I ended up dating a lot of people with qualities that I wish that I had felt safe enough to portray at the time. Wow. So wow. it was like this this complex thing where I thought attraction was, you know, maybe just from desire, but it was really, it was stemming from this place of really wanting to be more like that. Mm. Um, but I would say the biggest aha moment for me was actually a conversation I was having with one of my friends who's a transgender woman in which she was describing her experience of being trans and being raised while assigned the wrong gender. I would say that in that moment, I realized that I related too much to what she experienced for that to be a coincidence. Mm. Uh, So more recently, I've started using the term trans non-binary because I feel that it better captures my lived perspective. So like, although I've never been a female, being raised in this role and perception feels like a separate existence to the life that I'm living right now. So my transness encompasses that experience for me and better helps to better indicate that my gender does not match the female designation on my birth certificate. Mm. Okay, so that was where the aha moment really happened. Yeah, I would say like all my life, I was really good at fitting in, but I never really felt like I belonged anywhere until I really connected with a lot of my current like trans friends where I felt like, me for the experiences that I was having in a way that other people weren't able to. Mm, Okay. Wow. So, okay. So what was, when you came out initially, what was that experience like? So I kind of like laugh about it because for me, like coming out has never really ended. 
like I came out as bisexual originally and that wasn't taken very well for my family. So with that being said, I think coming out as non-binary was definitely a little bit different in the way that it was received because so kind of backs, I'm going to backtrack a little bit, but my sister, my oldest sister had ended up kind of finding out about me being bisexual at a very young age. And she ended up outing me to my parents. Mm. Um, so I didn't really necessarily get the opportunity to come out as bisexual. It was kind of done for me. Mm. And so when I decided that I wanted to come out as non-binary, I really wanted to reclaim my power over that. Yeah. yeah. Um, since I didn't really feel like I had that in my first experience. But yeah, coming out as non-binary was really interesting. I wasn't scared to come out to a select few of my friends. I didn't think that you know, they were going to be hateful or reject me or anything like that. Right. It was more just the fear of coming out to my like immediate family. So I actually have never told my dad. I don't actually have a relationship with him anymore. I never told my oldest sibling. It's just not, it's not really in the, in the cards for our relationship. Right. Um, but as for coming out to my sister, Lindsay, it was just so easy. I just, you know, had a conversation with her about what I had been struggling with and, you know, started having me referred to as James rather than Jamie. And just, um, you know, I emphasized to her that I understand that it's a transition for everybody. You know, I, I made it really clear that I didn't expect people to always use the perfect pronouns for me. I, I have room and grace and understanding that, right. you know, it's hard to adjust to. And I really just said to her, like, it means the most to me that you're just trying to use my pronouns. And that was just received so well and so lovingly. More recently, like in the last couple of months, I did come out to my mom. And honestly, it was um, it was interesting. I <laughs> brought her out to a restaurant and, you know, I just started like giving some, I guess, prep to go into that conversation. And just immediately she just, I, I, I knew that she could tell something was up because like her whole body language shifted, like her demeanors kind of switched and I could tell that she was pretty upset about it. And then after I went through my whole spiel and like saying everything I needed to, um, she didn't really say anything exactly. It was more just like she started crying and then she had said that she was upset that I didn't wait until we got into the car because she didn't want to cry in public. Oh, <laughs> um, shoot. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't that it was like really bad. It just, you know, it wasn't like exactly what I was expecting. Right. Um, and then as for coming out as trans, I really haven't done that with family. I've more so just focused on my closest friends who are already like loving and accepting of me being non-binary right. and just kind of added that backstory for them. Right. So, wow. I know that's a long answer, but that's no. kind of the <laughs> No, that was very helpful to hear. And also it sounds like your sister, Lindsay, is just such a great support and an amazing person to have. And it sounds like you also have great friends who can be a support system as well. But I can imagine at the same time how challenging it is that maybe not everyone in your family can see your perspective or agrees on those kind of things. So I hear you on that. And yeah, but thanks for that background. And kind of moving forward a little bit, as we talked about, you came from religious households. And we both share having a religious background in common. So can you kind of tell us a little bit more about what your religion looked like that you were a part of growing up? And then also talk about how you got in touch with your gut instinct after years of being raised in this church and not being allowed to question what you're told 
to believe. So I actually was raised in the Presbyterian church. Later, we moved to a Lutheran church. And then for most of my childhood, we went to a non-denominational Christian church. Honestly, the conditioning of not asking questions for clarification was so deeply ingrained in me that it took years of counseling for me to, to really learn what it felt like to connect with my intuition again. It actually kind of took a negative experience for me to get to that point. I was seeing this therapist for about six years off and on. And when I really started questioning the church and wanting space away from religion to deconstruct my upbringing, my therapist at the time kept pushing back uh, just due to her own ideology. I just remember feeling unseen and unheard in that moment. And I started to believe that only I knew what was best for me. And I think leaning into that as I've grown as a person and, you know, developed, I've really learned to turn to my gut and really trust that it knows what's best for right. me. And a lot of the times my my gut feeling or my intuition does prove to be true for me. So right. I learned the value of that. Mm, And that's huge, I think. And it's funny because in the Mormon religion, they refer to that gut instinct as the Holy Ghost prompting you or the spirit. And so even I had to kind of step away and unlearn that and focus on that. That's my gut and that's my intuition. So it's powerful that you have that self-awareness and you're able to realize that for yourself too. Okay, so Do you feel like if you grew up in a non-religious household that your perspective on being who you truly felt you were and identifying as non-binary and trans individual would be different? And in other words, do you think religion plays a negative connotation on your gender identity? Absolutely. Yeah. I think being raised in a religion that perpetuates so much shame for not fitting into the box that you're expected to does not allow for otherness. Being a Christian conditioned me for so much self-hatred that even admitting to myself that I was bisexual felt so uh, stigmatized. I think people assigned female within the church have extra pressures placed Mm. on them to be a supporting partner to their male spouse and to basically lose their interest to be a good wife. Right. It was very clear to me that I was not allowed to prioritize my career and that having children was one of my sole purposes as a Christian. So I definitely think that I would have had a different life experience or maybe a sooner realization about my gender identity, maybe if I was given a more open and accepting environment. Well, you make some really good points there on kind of just how the woman in religion is supposed to be portrayed and act and play that housewife motherly figure role. So yeah, very good points there. Thanks for that. Okay, so during this time when you were figuring everything out, were you dating at all? And were you vocalizing your gender concerns to partners? Or what did that look like? Uh, So around the time that I began using my preferred name and pronouns, I was actually single for the first time in a long time. Before that, I had kind of been in and out of relationships from the time I was 14. So yeah, I was single for the first time. I had just gotten out of an abusive relationship with my first girlfriend. And I remember there was a moment that I just vowed to myself that I would use that time to find healing and learn to be comfortable being single. I was only vocalizing my journey with my gender identity to close friends at the time. 
Mm. And I've actually never had a partner that was aware of my true gender identity. So that will be kind of a first time experience for me when I, you know, begin dating again. Totally. Wow. Is that kind of nerve wracking or exciting? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's nerve wracking. I think I'm so used to like playing a specific part within the relationship and the context of being perceived as a woman. So I think it'll be, it'll be a new experience for me to feel really seen um, for who I am. I think it'll be really special and definitely looking forward to that. Mm, I'm looking forward to that too. I can't wait to hear how everything works out for you and yeah, your next relationship and partner. So yeah. Yeah. I've been single for like two and a half years and it's been really great. Honestly, I I love that. I love it. It's been really nice. Yeah. Honestly, good for you. I fully support that and figuring out who you are as an individual and self-care. And I, I think everyone can really benefit from finding themselves along the way and not just relationship to relationship to relationship. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of pressure, I think, for people our age to be in a relationship or to find your one person. But it's really such a special thing to be able to take time for yourself and really reevaluate what do I want? What are my needs? You know, and just be comfortable loving yourself and giving yourself what you need. It's definitely a balancing act, but it just opens up a beautiful, like a beautiful opportunity for you to be able to better state your needs in a relationship, I think. Mm, that that was worded really well. I like that a lot. And that's just some good life advice right there, too. Something you've told me is that you developed an eating disorder at a certain point, which allowed you to control something in your world. And it stemmed from being in a body that you did not resemble. So can you dive a little bit into this vulnerable topic so listeners can understand what this was like for you? My journey with body dysmorphia has been a long battle for most of my life. I think that for me, gender dysphoria began peaking around 14 Mm -hmm. uh, when I was entering puberty. Um, When I started noticing my weight distributing more into like my chest, stomach and hip areas, it was a strange sensation for me. Though I was uncomfortable with those changes, I found that I received more romantic attention and verbal praise for those things. Right. So for one, I felt like I had to control my body and weight to functionally fit into the hand-me-downs for my older siblings. So there was that factor. Right. Um, I also felt that I did not have much control in my life or what happened to me, but I could control how much I ate. Uh, Mm. The lowest point of my eating disorder was when I was nearing the end of my relationship with my first girlfriend. I was really unhappy and just genuinely so dissociated that I couldn't get in touch with my sense of appetite And I would go as long as possible without eating. And only when I could not stand it any longer would I eat. And I knew that I needed help when my weight dropped below what I weighed when I was 14. And Mm. I was 22 at the time. I really knew in that moment that something needed to change and that I couldn't continue to live my life that way. Right. Oh my gosh, I can totally relate to the control aspect with eating disorders. I'm sure I'm sure you know that I had an eating disorder and it really stemmed from the need to control something in my life and so I can totally relate to that and thanks for sharing that. I know that's very vulnerable and I appreciate that. So, yeah. Of course. I I think when people, you know, don't have experience with that, 
they think that it's just about food or your body, but it's about so much more than that. Totally. It's really good awareness for people to realize that eating disorders can happen to anyone and can stem from not just physical appearance, but the need to control something. Okay, so where you're at today is probably entirely different from where you were then. So you have also mentioned to me the term gender euphoria. So what does that term mean and how do you embody that today? Yeah, I mean, so much has changed and I'm really grateful for the progress that I've made with eating and my body image. Gender euphoria is the psychological state of bliss and comfort that happens when your gender expression is aligned with your identity. So it's a feeling of alignment where you can look at the way your gender is being presented and received and it causes happiness and joy. And I would say that I embody gender euphoria by embracing both my masculinity and my femininity mm. and surrounding myself with people who see and value value me for who I am. Wow. Thank you for that definition too. I, I really didn't know what that meant. And I also didn't look it up before because I wanted to <laughs> hear from you directly. For me, like I have a very distinct memory of like when I really first connected with gender euphoria. And it was actually when I... Um, I, when I first cut my hair, because all my life, like my hair was down to my hips, like right. it was, it was really long. And I just remember there was a time that I was just like, you know what, I just got out of a relationship. And I want something to change. And I really want to express myself through changing my hair. And I just remember, like, I was sitting in the salon. And I just remember the feeling that I had when I looked in the mirror for the first time with short hair. And it was truly, it was truly like, the only way I can really describe it is like seeing yourself for the first time. Like, it just felt so rewarding and so fulfilling in so many ways. And it just obviously extended so much more than just a haircut. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's amazing. And so cool that you can remember that moment where you really felt that gender euphoria. I've had my hair short ever since. And there was a few points in my journey with short hair where I was just like, do I want to grow my hair out? And like, am I, gro- am I wanting to grow my hair out for the right reasons? Or mm. you know, just kind of like reevaluating that. And I think for me right now, just short hair feels right. And totally. um, you know, there was a point in which I just shaved all of my hair off and I just had, you know, the buzz cut. And honestly, I've been thinking about that a lot lately because I really miss it. There's just something about having a buzz cut that for me feels very euphoric. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Wow. So, I just remember like I was having a conversation with my best friend, Taylor, and I was like, Taylor, I've always wanted to shave my head, but I'm so scared. Yeah. Like what, what if I'm ugly or like what if I'm not confident in myself? And she was just like, well, are you going to regret it? Like, are you going to regret not trying it if you just never do it? And I was like, well, yeah, of course. And yeah. she's like, well, is that regret bigger than the fear of being ugly? And I was like, yeah, it is. Wow. <laughs> so I remember that same day that we had the conversation, I bought myself a pair of clippers and I just buzzed my hair at home. <laughs> okay, that's amazing. And wow, another great friend to have right there. I mean, that's a powerful statement that she said to you. I feel like when you're assigned female at birth, there's so much pressure on being presentable or being desirable. And it just was so beautiful to have my friend challenge me in that way to be like, 
well, is it as important for you to feel pretty as it is for you to feel to feel brave or to feel like you engage with your desires? Like, and that was just such a such a wonderful question. You know, I think I needed to hear that at the time. Totally. Wow. I love that. I think that is beautiful and wonderful that you heard that. Let's talk about coming out in the workplace. What What is that like and how did that go for you initially? Okay. So I've only ever been out in one of my workplaces and it's actually in my current job. So coming out at work was made a lot easier for me by having a manager who I actually grew up with and whom I knew would be accepting of me. I knew in my mind that, you know, no matter how badly it might be received by anybody else, I knew I had one person in my company that was going to have my back. So I just remember I told them that I wanted to be referred to as James and that I use they, them pronouns. And then from that point on, that's how my manager referred to me. All of my coworkers know to call me James. And when people use the wrong pronouns, I'm trying to be better about correcting them. Mm. To be honest, I've only ever corrected one person on my pronouns, and that was my mom. So it's definitely something I really wrestle with. I think for me, the underlying like insecurity or or like the the feeling that I get in those moments is like, oh well, I don't want to be an inconvenience to this person. Yeah, but it's it's really fascinating because having somebody know you for who you are shouldn't be an inconvenience to them. Right. But it is like it is an insecurity that I think a lot of people might struggle with with, you know, asserting their pronouns in the workplace. I'm sure everyone's experience looks different, but it sounds like you didn't have anything too terrible happen when you came out. Definitely. Yeah, I think all the fears that I had or all these expectations that I had, they just didn't play out. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was just like really validating for me to be like, oh, like this person just wants to know what I need to better support me and how right. like what I need to feel seen in my workplace. Mm. That was really a relief, honestly. Totally. I bet. Okay, so something I know for certain is that the U.S. has many laws being passed about the trans community and individuals who may identify this way. And to be honest, I'm not as educated as I could be on these laws. So can you explain some of them and how they concern you and what you might like to see done differently? So just in the year 2023, there have been 80 anti-trans bills that have been passed. There are 358 active bills that block trans people from receiving basic health care education legal recognition, and the right to publicly exist. I could go into many different examples, but for time's sake, I will touch on Kentucky's House Bill 470, which is a gender-affirming care ban preventing doctors from providing puberty blockers and hormone therapy to minors. This has been added to another anti-trans bill, SB 150, which would force schools to out trans children to their families and potentially withhold health services at their parents' demand. The newest version of SB 150 includes a mandate for doctors to medically detransition trans minors in their care, allowing teachers to misgender students at school, barring trans students from using bathrooms that match their gender identity, and bans any mention of sexual orientation or gender identity in classroom discussion. So there are increasingly more laws being passed that ban trans individuals from using bathrooms and facilities consistent with their gender identity. 
And these laws concern me for a multitude of reasons, some of them being safety and others being more about accessibility. So these laws are fueling pre-existing trans hatred and giving people reasons to view us as dangerous and politically radical. And this saddens me that this is the case because our identities are not a political statement, but many people are making this seem to be the case. Mm. So research has shown that gender affirming care greatly improves the mental health and general well-being of gender diverse, transgender and non-binary children and adolescents. So measures to restrict critical health care go against scientific evidence and threaten the quality of life for people like me. And these laws cause higher rates of anxiety and depression, as well as suicidal ideation. Mm. And as for like how I would do things differently, I propose that we allow these decisions to be made by the individuals whom these laws threaten, keeping these choices in the hands of doctors and parents of trans youth. Oftentimes, gender-affirming care does not always mean that youth would, would have to undergo medical transitions. Rather, it allows the individual to define their own identity, explore freely, and actualize their gender identity through unrestricted expression. And just in 2020, a survey showed that 54% of young people identifying as trans or non-binary reported having seriously considered suicide, with 29% making attempts to end their lives. So we need more laws protecting the rights of these individuals and giving them the support that they deserve to have a quality life. Thank you, first of all, for sharing all that and also just providing some awareness and education on that. And also, I think this was a good eye opener for me personally, because I mean, I I could assume that this would affect mental health. But when you kind of spelt it out like that, I I guess I see why it's so important. Yeah, that, that was really insightful. Switching gears a bit, what are some of your future goals for achieving gender euphoria? So my first goal would probably be including a legal name change. I think for me, that would be really good for my mental health because I do have to see my dead name a lot. You know, that would just make me feel like I have a fresh start. Mm. Uh, I would say the next goal for me is getting top surgery because for me, the biggest piece of gender dysphoria is having a very large chest. Even just like a few, maybe like six years ago before I realized I was non-binary, I was looking into getting a reduction, like a Mm. breast reduction. And I just remember like last minute I pulled out of the surgery. And I think even before I realized I was non-binary, I think that I realized on some level that just a reduction wouldn't be enough for me. Mm. Um, So I think it's really important to me to not have a chest. Um, Right. Yeah, looking into that. And I would say another goal for me is microdosing on testosterone. Though I don't identify as a male, there's a lot of side effects of microdosing on testosterone that could help me in feeling more like how I feel on the inside. Right. Um, 
definitely I'm looking into all of those options. Mm. I would say the biggest like hurdle really is um, insurance, Mm. really. You have to go through a lot of processes to get any sort of level of coverage for top surgery. So there's typically you have to do like a consultation with a gender affirming therapist. Okay. Um, I've actually done that appointment and I've had my top surgery letter written. So when I do have my insurance in place, I'll be able to use that letter and hopefully get some of my uh, surgery covered. But if not, it'll be about 10 grand out of pocket. So it's a very large purchase. Right. So today, where are you at with your mental health? And have you fully come to terms with the grief of being raised as a female while being a non-binary person? Or are you still working on that? I would say that I'm in the best place that I've ever been with my mental health. And a lot of that I owe to my amazing therapist and the work that I've done with her over the last three years. I don't think that I've fully come to terms with the grief of being raised as a female, but I will say that I've found a lot of grace and compassion for my parents for the ways in which they raised me. I think that my parents did the best that they could with the knowledge and tools that they had available to them. Mm. So I definitely feel like I've come to somewhat a place of peace with that. That's amazing. You've come to a place of peace for the most part, but it sounds like you have a great therapist. Yeah, it's like therapist shopping is a real thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people, it'll take you years and years to find a good therapist. And right. I think it's so important, like, just given my own experience with therapy, I mean, I went to a counselor for six years before this, and it was just looking back, it was not a good therapeutic relationship, but I didn't right. know that because I had nothing to compare it to. Looking at the difference of how much healing and growth I've had in the last three years versus the six years that I was with my previous therapist. It's just not comparable. Right. So, I'd, you know, I'd really encourage people if they're looking for a therapist to just really trust your gut instinct, like really lean into that when you're when you're speaking to therapists and really make sure that they have your best interest in mind. Totally. Something you've also mentioned to me earlier was your chosen family and how you have created meaning and passion through cultivating connections with those who you can be your truest self with. So can you share more with us about your chosen family and how they have supported you over the years? So I have the privileged experience of my sister being one of my closest friends. Lindsay has always been my backbone in the process of individuating from our family and realizing that what makes me myself is worthy of love and support. I consider her my chosen family, though we do share the same biology. Um, You know, I always tell her that if we weren't related, like, no matter what lifetime we were in, I would choose her, like, Uh, over and over again. I love Um, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's like literally the roots that tie me to this earth. Like she's, Mm. I can't say enough good things about her. I know that having her in my corner unconditionally allowed me the strength that I needed to face potentially being disowned by the rest of our family. Right. Um, My roommate and childhood best friend, Taylor, has also been a huge reason that I've been able to make it through coming out and living my authentic truth. Um, I described Taylor as the essence of love and genuinity, which made her one of the very few people I was not afraid to come out to. 
she has gone out of her way to help me experience joy and acceptance. And I know no matter what life throws at me, I'll never walk through it alone when I have Taylor and my sister. Wow, that's beautiful. I'm I'm so glad that you have both of them. And that's just so amazing that you have that support. So I wanted to start to close up by having you share some closing remarks for anyone who may be listening, who's going through something similar to what you have been through so what what's some advice you could give to them and are there support groups available out there i would just love to hear your thoughts on this my advice would be that the things that make up your identity do not make you an inconvenience to love i think a lot of the time you start to feel like these are barriers to you receiving love but they're actually just beautiful pieces of you that people can envelop you in love with I think the right people will value you for who you are and they'll want you to step into your power and your highest self. You're not as alone as you might feel. I know some days you do feel like you're completely alone, especially if you don't have any friends that are trans or non-binary, but there are people out there who do want to support you. I think it's really important to learn how to ask for help and to take note of specific areas that you need support in so that the people in your life are allowed to show up for you in the ways that you really need. And to answer your question, there are support groups out there. And if you're in Phoenix, I would recommend checking out One in 10. They're an LGBTQ plus nonprofit for youths between the age of 11 and 24. So definitely check them out. There are more resources, but that's just one I would recommend. Well, thank you. I love all of that. And I think that's some really helpful advice and Yeah, I think very powerful words. So thank you so much for your time and for getting vulnerable with us today. And I really feel so grateful to know you. I think you're amazing. And I'm so happy for you and where you're at today and where you will continue to go in your life. Thank you so much, Bracia. I really appreciate you having me on and even just like holding space for a story like mine. It just, it means a lot to me that you're giving a voice to people who you know, don't always have a place to process those kinds of things. So thank you for the work that you're doing. It means a lot. Thank you so much for being here, for listening and sticking it through even with challenging conversations. Do you have an experience or story that you feel would be a good fit for the Checker Jaguar? Email me at thecheckerjaguar at gmail.com. I am always looking for stories that bring out important discussions and lead to having thought-provoking conversations. Stay tuned for the Checker Jaguar's next podcast. But in the meantime, follow along with me at Checker Jaguar on Instagram and TikTok.